All right, everybody, I've got 315, so we're going to go ahead and get started. So uh, thanks for being here. Uh, my name is Rusty Tugman, I'm the uh, preacher for the Alameda Church of Christ in Norman, Oklahoma. And uh, if I am not who you plan to see and you came into the wrong class accidentally, it's okay to get up and leave. So not going to offend me, that's all right. But uh, thanks for being here. I'm so glad that you're here and I'm uh, looking forward to our time together. So I want to start by asking you a question. What is it that we as Christians have to offer the world? And how do we offer that? What's the best way that we can offer that? My wife and I are currently helping out or doing a design project, and it's one of those projects where it went beyond our level of expertise, and so we've had to bring in a professional interior designer to uh, consult with. And this designer is uh, really good, really successful, and she also happens to be married to my cousin's wife. And so one day we uh, met the designer, her name is Lori, we met Lori at a flooring place and uh, to look at all kinds of different carpet samples and flooring samples and all, those, all that good stuff. And so at one point, um, Lori and my wife, they um, got all these books on these tables and all these books are filled with all these carpet samples and I mean it was incredible, all the stuff that was there. And so they were, you know, having this big discussion about color schemes and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I wanted to be helpful. And so I figured, well, I would chime in and share my opinions, you know. And so I looked at everything and shared my opinions with them. And Lori, I think because she was my cousin, she said this politely. But she politely looked at me and said, you know, Rusty, you might want to go sit in that chair over there and play on your phone. So apparently I didn't have much to offer in this conversation. And I dutifully did that and just kind of stayed out of the way. And sometimes we Christians can feel like that. Sometimes we feel like we don't really have much to offer the world, and so we just kind of go to our corner and stay out of the way. Not because of anything about the world itself, but because of something within us that we just don't feel like we have much to offer. And then if we do decide that we do have something to offer people, we don't know exactly how to do that. Well, I want to talk about how we have exactly what the world needs, and we can offer it to the world in the most simplest of ways. But I want to start to just set the stage with where we're going to go in this class. I want to start by reading you an excerpt from a new book by Rosaria, Rosaria Butterfield. She's a pretty well-known by now scholar and author. And uh, she is someone who came to Christ out of a homosexual lifestyle. And in her new book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospi Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World, she reflects on how her conversion came about and she writes the following. When I lived as a lesbian activist, I had been in a lesbian relationship for some years and I very much thought, this is who I am and this is how I want to live. When I started writing my post-tenure book, it was on the religious right and the people they supposedly hated, like me. I got to know a neighbor named Ken Smith, who was also a conservative Presbyterian pastor. And what was striking was that his home looked a lot like my home. Among my circles in New York in the 1990s during the AIDS crisis, somebody's home was open every night of the week. There was a lot going on. The community had to gather together, and not by invitation only, because this was a crisis. This was an emergency, and we called ourselves family. I thought that was unique to the gay community, but it wasn't, because Ken Smith's community was like this one too. 
Ken's Christian community gathered at his house at all hours. I learned this because he invited me in. For two years, I was loved and welcomed by a Christian community that I had mocked, despised, and rejected. I accepted them when it worked for me and rejected them at all other times. There is simply no way I would have walked into a church if I hadn't had a genuine friendship with the man behind the pulpit. For two years, I was part of Ken and Floyd Smith's ministry. I met with them once a week. At their home, the door was wide open. People were always in and out of his house, people from church and people not from church. Heated, genuine conversation would happen. People would speak honestly and tears would flow. But it was different because Ken would open the Bible and he would sing from the Psalter and then he would pray. It was disarming. I couldn't help but go back. It was in this context of hospitality that Ken brought the church to me because it was impossible for me to get to the church without the bridge of somebody's home. In this class, I want to submit to you that one of the very best ways to win people to Christ in this day and age and in our secularized society is through our willingness to practice the faithfulness of Christ in the most ordinary of ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know that I'm not going to offer anything new to this group, but simply a reminder. And so, Lord, I pray that you would remind us through your word and through your spirit that we do have much to offer the world because what we have to offer the world is Christ. And the way that we can offer that to the world is by being the presence of Christ in the world. And so, Lord, as we dive into your word, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes, open our ears. And, Lord, inspire us, motivate us, help us to see how we can be at work for your kingdom in the simplest of ways by simply being good neighbors, good friends, and by being present in people's lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, it was after dinner on a weeknight when the phone rang. I answered and said, hello, and the voice on the other end said, is this Rusty Tugman of the Alameda Church of Christ? I said, yes, and he said, well, you don't know me, but I have a friend who goes to church there, and she said that I could talk to you about something that's going on in my life. I said, sure, you know, how can I help you? So he briefly explained the situation, and then he asked if we could meet. So about 30 minutes later, I walked into a McDonald's restaurant, and I found a young man in his early 20s sitting down in a restaurant booth. So I walked over and sat down in the booth uh, opposite him, introduced myself, and for the next hour and a half, through tears, this young man shared with me everything that was weighing on his heart and on his mind. I tried my best to just listen intently, to uh, listen in a loving way. I tried my best to, to provide godly counsel and comfort and wisdom. And it seemed to help because whenever we got up to leave, his countenance was completely different. Instead of a defeated posture, he was standing up straight and tall with an air of confidence. Instead of a frown, he had a smile on his face, the kind of smile that signaled his belief, a newfound belief, that everything was going to be okay. And as we shook hands and to say goodbye, he thanked me, and then he said something that I'll never forget. He said, you know, you left your family 
at home tonight to come meet with a complete stranger simply because I asked you for help. You're the real deal. And then he walked off. <laughs> and whenever he walked off, I sat back down in that booth to ponder what he had said. There was just something about it, and there was something about the way that he said it. You're the real deal. I hadn't done anything special, and I hadn't done anything that any of you wouldn't do. But for some reason, me showing up at that restaurant and me sitting down at that restaurant booth listening to him, for some reason, for him, that was proof that I really did believe what I say I believe about Jesus. And I really did try to live out those beliefs. I, I thought that, you know, I was just providing a listening ear. I thought I was just, you know, simply lending uh, a shoulder to cry on. Um, I thought I was just trying to be helpful to somebody who needed help. But something else was happening there. Because my showing up, my presence to him was proof that God loves him and cares about him. That's how he took it. And I realized that in that restaurant booth that night, something bigger than I originally thought was happening. Without even realizing it, I was being the faithful presence of Christ to that young man, and he left a changed man. And I remember thinking, is this how God changes the world? Could it be that one of the most effective ways that Christ reveals himself is through Christians who are willing to sit with strangers in restaurant booths. And I know that sounds a little bit crazy. I know it might come across as I'm just making a bigger deal out of something that really wasn't that big of a deal, just something that was very simple. But I want you to just think about the moves that God makes in Scripture. The moves of God we read about in our Bibles. Nearly all of those moves were the result of holy God inhabiting common spaces and using ordinary people to reveal himself to surrounding peoples. In fact, in one very real sense, we can say that the story of God is defined by the presence of God. At the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth as the place of his presence, so much so that in Isaiah 66.1, God says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 depicts God as walking in the garden and being among and with His creation. When God told Abraham about His plan to raise up a nation of people He would bless, God also said that He would be present in this nation and use this nation to bless and to reveal Himself to the other nations. When God chose to de deliver the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, He has sent Moses, and in that sending, God promised to be with Moses. Moses was so dependent on God's presence that in Exodus 33, verses 15 and 16, he says this to God, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? 
Moses understood that it was God's presence among them that made the Israelites distinct. And throughout Israelite history, the tabernacle and the temple would represent God's presence among His people. The Psalms of the Israelites regularly repeat the theme of God's presence with His people. And one of my favorites is Psalm 46. That psalm begins with these words, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, or we might say because of that presence, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then the psalm ends with these words, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. But as we know, the Israelites didn't always put their trust in God. And when they disregarded God in order to pursue false idols, God left the temple, Ezekiel chapter 10, and the Israelites were dispersed in exile. But because God is faithful, He promises to renew His presence among His people in Ezekiel 37 verse 27, which says, My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And through His faithful presence, God will heal Israel and the world. That promise was fulfilled in the form of Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate, as Matthew 1.23 says, they shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Jesus gives His disciples the Great Commission, He ends it with the words, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. In John 14, Jesus says that He will not leave us as orphans and promises that the Holy Spirit will be present in our lives. So present. That the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 19-21, that we are citizens of the household of God who are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that fact coincides with what Jesus told His disciples in John chapter 20, verses 21 and 22. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when He said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal. Because what that says to us and what that means for us is that we Christ followers have been sent by Jesus to be the faithful presence of Jesus to the world and our mission is powered by the presence of God's Spirit in our lives. And let's remember where this story is going. Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 4 gives us a glimpse of our future and says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. This is what the presence of God means. When the presence of God is, is, is revealed fully, all the things that weigh us down go away. That's where the presence of God is leading to. And we get glimpses of that in the here and now. But this is what's going to happen. This is how it will be when God's full presence is made manifest. That's encouraging, isn't it? There's something about that that lifts our spirits. Even right now, there may be some of you who are going through some difficult times and you read a passage like that or you go through a summary of the story of Scripture and how God is present in our lives and there's something about that that just says, okay, I can breathe. That's right. It's going to be all right. You know, come to think of it, maybe that's why that young man in that McDonald's restaurant booth left walking a little taller. Because maybe for the first time in his life, he understood what it could mean when God's presence is with you. A connection. That's right. And so, as we think through the moves of God that we read about in Scripture, it's not so crazy to think that God does change the world through restaurant booths through Christians who are willing to sit down with strangers in diners and delis and recognize them as divine opportunities given by God to be the faithful presence of Christ in that person's life in that moment. The story of Scripture tells us that the Holy God, that Holy God changes the world by inhabiting common spaces and by being present with His people who are made distinct by His presence. And Scripture tells us that God is moving the world toward a future reality that is defined by His uninhabited presence among His creation. And Scripture also tells us that the way God establishes His reign and rule is through a people who reveal God to other people by their presence in the world as the ambassadors of Christ and, brothers and sisters, what this means is that if we truly want to make Jesus known in our community, if we truly want to see our friends and neighbors follow Jesus, then we need to have a fuller understanding of our role in the world as the very presence of Jesus to the world. This is what we have to offer, and this is how we offer it. In his wonderful book, Faithful Presence, theologian David Fitch writes this, So much of the world we live in today remains dark, to the presence of God. The light of His presence seems not to have been turned on. How does God restore His presence over the whole earth? And what do we have to do with it? The Bible's answer to that question is the church. God's plan is to become present to the world in and through a people and then invite the world to join with Him. So how does this happen? In the simplest terms, a group of people gather and become present to God. We participate in His work in the world, and His presence becomes visible to the world. The world then sees God's presence among us and through us and joins in with God, and the world is changed. This, I contend, is faithful presence. This is the church, and this is how God has chosen to change the world. 
I titled this class Diners, Delis, and Divine Opportunities because as a minister, I've had many experiences of practicing the faithful presence of Christ over meals. I've met with people in the weirdest places. And sometimes in those moments, I have been the teacher and the counselor and the confidant and even the pastor. But sometimes, I've been the student. And one of those moments came when I had breakfast with a man named Joe Castiglione, who's the vice president for intercollegiate athletic programs at the University of Oklahoma, which is in Norman, where I live and preach. And over a delicious breakfast at one of Norman's favorite breakfast places, one of Norman's favorite diners called Ozzy's, we talked about leadership. And Josie took me through his football game day routine, which included a detailed process of meeting with various groups of people before, during, and after each game. It was incredible. So I asked him why he thought it was so important for him to meet with as many fans as he could, and he said this, because I want to build a sense of community and family at OU, and one of the best ways I can do that is by being present with people. Now, people, we're just talking football here. Think about the church. He's just talking football. And he's saying, I just want to build a community. I want to build a family around football. And the best way I can do that is by being present with them and making my presence known among them. Now, think about church. Those of you who might be in the business world, you know exactly what Josie is talking about and why he's talking about it. Business leaders know about the, about the power of presence. And in the business world, presence is viewed as a crucial strategy. Harvard business professor and best-selling author Amy Cuddy has researched the power of presence in a business setting. And she writes this, People want to feel understood by their leaders. Trust comes before strength, and it becomes a conduit of influence. Your strength is a little bit threatening before people trust you. But when they trust you, and you are the leader, your presence is a gift to them. Presence allows you to build that trust because you are saying to them through your presence, I'm here, I care about you, and I'm listening to you. In business... Presence is a strategy for accomplishing a goal. And from Dr. Cuddy's description, we can see why. And we can also see how effective presence would be towards achieving that goal. But for the church, presence is less about strategy and more about identity. Consider these famous words from Paul that you already know. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20 Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul is saying you need to be reconciled to God, one, so that you can experience the presence of God in your life and, and the, the, all, that that, all that comes with that, but also you need to be reconciled to God so that when you are out in the world, you are being the presence of Christ. And he's saying this to Christ's followers because our very job description is to make Jesus known. We are ambassadors for Christ. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we lose this sense of identity, and it's easy to do that, isn't it? 
We get so busy with just everyday, ordinary life. We're so rushed. We're just you know, always going somewhere, always doing something. Sometimes we get caught up in, the, in all the things that are happening in the world and sometimes that can take us away from what we should really be doing and what we should really be about. And in our coming and going, sometimes we lose our sense of identity. Sometimes we forget what we're really here to do and what we're really supposed to be about. So what is it? Or what, it, what is something that we can kind of work into our lives that keep us grounded in this identity? What are, what's something that we can incorporate into our lives? What's a rhythm that we can put into our lives that helps us to always have our identity and our task as Christ ambassadors in front of us? Well, there's actually something that you already do that does exactly this. And it's in the Lord's Supper. What's interesting about the Lord's Supper is we gather around a table. And when we gather around the table, we're being formed to sit at other tables with other people so that we can make Jesus known to them in the way the Lord's Supper is making Jesus known to us. Yet sometimes we forget even that. Sometimes the Lord's Supper, communion, becomes so rote and we're so used to doing it that we don't even really think about what we're doing and the message and what it's teaching us. Sometimes we get caught up in the organization of things, right? And there we are and we're wondering, when is this guy going to be quiet? I mean, this meditation has already been going for seven minutes. It's supposed to be just five. What's happening here? How long is this prayer going to go? Or we're sitting there in silence and you hear all the clanging and stuff and you're trying to concentrate and then you start to think, my goodness, do we have this many people here today? What's taking so long? And what we should be thinking about is what we're being taught through that discipline. Have you ever considered how the Lord's Supper shapes you and forms you to be the ambassador for Christ that you have been called to be. Think about it. The discipline of the Lord's Supper roots us in a story that is defined by God's presence in our lives. We cited just a moment ago, Matthew 1.23, that you know, when they, Jesus is born or is about to be born, you shall call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The very core of our faith is in a person whose very presence is the presence of God in our lives. Whose name says, God is with us. And so that's what the Lord's Supper does. It roots us in this story. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder, God is not absent from us. God has not left us. Even when we feel that way, it's not true. And the Lord's Supper brings us back to that core truth. God is with us. The Lord's Supper teaches us to be present to the needs of others. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to read a, a passage that's a little bit lengthier than the ones that I've read so far, which is why I'd love for you to turn there if you have your Bible or Bible app. 
Now, we're used to reading this text as kind of proof that, see, okay, here, they did, you know, the, the New Testament church, I mean, they did the Lord's Supper, we need to be doing it too. Here's a reminder. We, we hear this read a lot uh, in communion meditations. But I want you to hear this passage in this context of what we're talking about as far as faithful presence. And I want you to read this through the lens of, of this question, what does the Lord teach me about being the faithful presence of Christ? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks, now get this, without discerning the body, eats and drinks, drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, would we, we would not be judged when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Now, this is an interesting passage. Paul has a very real concern here that he's addressing. And the concern is that people are just doing their own thing without thinking of other people around them. And what he's saying is that that goes totally against what the church is supposed to be about. That that kind of attitude, that kind of selfishness is completely the opposite of what Christ demonstrated on the cross. This is a kingdom, this is a movement that is built upon self-sacrificial love and yet here in Corinth, the church is just thinking about themselves as individuals, not as the body of Christ. And Paul says, you need to knock it off. And he goes so far as to say that one of the reasons why some of you are ill one of the reasons why some of you are not experiencing all that you want to experience in life 
is because you keep putting yourself in front of other people. The Lord's Supper teaches us to be attentive to the needs of others. When we take of the Lord's Supper together, not only are we passing a lot of times the elements to one another, but it should be something that helps us to realize that we are part of a group of people that all come from different backgrounds, that have different pasts, different stories, and yet through Jesus Christ, we have become one. And through that oneness, through that unity, we help the world see Jesus. But, when we don't take the needs of others into consideration, when we make everything, even communion, about ourselves, we completely miss that opportunity to be used as a faithful presence of Jesus Christ. So the Lord's Supper teaches us to be present to the needs of others. So do you see? Are you getting the connection? How it's forming us to be out in the world. The Lord's Supper also encourages us to put our trust in the certainty of God's presence. Does anything else communicate the certainty of God's presence in your life and in my life more than the cross? One of my favorite books of all time was written by someone that many of you know, John Mark Hicks. He wrote a book several years ago called Yet Will I Trust Him, and it was a critique of the, or not a critique, but an exploration of the story of Job melded with John Mark's own experiences of suffering in his life. And one of the things he writes in that book is he says, I can stand at the grave of my wife and doubt God's presence, but I cannot stand at the foot of the cross and doubt it. Wow. Isn't that powerful? The cross of Christ communicates the certainty of God's presence. That He is willing to suffer with you. That He is willing even to take up on Himself our pain, our sin, our punishment. God is with us. And how can we doubt it? When we look at the cross, and that's exactly what the Lord's Supper draws our attention to. But communion also reminds us that God's presence is an act of grace. It's an act of grace. We don't deserve Jesus' forgiveness. And yet He offers it. He secures it through the cross. It's an act of grace. So again, communion, the Lord's Supper, is reminding me to offer to others the same grace I've been offered. That the only reason I'm in the church, the only reason I'm here with this body of believers as I take this communion, the only reason is because of the grace of God. Not my worthiness, not anything that I've done, not my importance, not my position, not my title, not my power. The only reason I'm here is because of the grace of God. And that should remind me that I need to offer that same grace to each and every person that I meet. So if we translate the orthodoxy of the Lord's Supper into orthopraxy, 
We also see that the discipline of the Lord's Supper teaches us how to be the faithful presence of Christ to the world. We do it by sharing the story of God's presence by being present with others. And when we are present with others, we also need to be present to the needs of others. We put our trust in the certainty of God's presence and we let our presence in the lives of others be an act of grace. This is what we learn in communion. And to quote David Fitch again, Around the Lord's table, a space for the kingdom is opened up. God's kingly rule over the whole world meets His incarnational presence in this particular time and space. Our selfishness is revealed. Our grasping for control loosens. People's lives are disrupted. If we tend to His presence here, we inevitably will forgive, reconcile, and open ourselves to renewal and healing. His rule takes on flesh among us as we submit to Him. Christ's presence peacefully reorders us into the ways of His kingdom. That's what's happening in communion. Each and every week, we gather around the Lord's table. It's a rhythm in our lives. And it's an important one. Because in that act, in that rhythm, we have a regular reminder not only of what God has done for us through Jesus, but we also have a powerful reminder of how we are to be in the world. Yeah. And that very discipline is forming us. Sometimes we think of communion as a passive act, literally. Because we're passing, right? I mean, you know, we think of it as, and so because of that, we think it's just a passive thing. But it's an active thing in our lives. Because God, through His Spirit, through that remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice, He is acting on us. And as Fitch writes, He's helping to remove our selfishness that often gets in our way. In fact, if we're completely honest with ourselves, we would have to say that our selfishness is one of the top reasons why we don't seek and save the lost like we should. And the Lord's Supper is taking that away. It's reminding us of the ways of the kingdom. That man in that booth at McDonald's he looked at me and said, you're the real deal because he had said, you made a sacrifice for me. You remember? Mm -hmm. He said, you left your family at home tonight to come meet with a stranger simply because I asked for help. He was recognizing that there was a sacrifice involved. Is that not what the Lord's Supper reminds us of? Mm -hmm. That the ways of this kingdom involves a sacrifice. And being the faithful presence of Christ in the world requires a sacrifice. Giving of our time. Lending a listening ear. Giving of our resources. Inviting people into our space, into our homes. The table of communion 
prepares us to sit at tables with others in order to be the presence of Christ in their lives. And earlier I asked this question, could it be that one of the most effective ways that Christ reveals Himself is through Christians who are willing to sit with strangers in restaurant booths? And I hope that this class has helped you to see that the answer to that question is yes. Because you do have something to offer the world. And because there are people in your community, like the young man I met that night at McDonald's, who need you to sit with them. Who need you to share with them. Who need you to invite them in. And because of your willingness to sacrifice, even people who are not believers in Jesus yet recognize something different. And they're able to make connections that they may not even realize where it all is coming from or what it all means yet, but they're able to see through your generosity there's something different about you. And there's something different about you because you live differently. And remember what Scripture tells us about what makes us unique? What is it that makes us distinctive among other peoples? It's not anything about us. It's the presence of God in our lives. And that's what people see. And that's what wins their hearts and their minds when we are the faithful presence of Christ to the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are in awe of all that you have done for us, but Lord, we're also in awe that you would want us to be your ambassadors. Lord, we're... We so often feel like there's nothing special about us, and yet you choose us. You surprise us because you choose us to entrust your message with. You choose us to make Jesus known in the world. You choose us to be part of your kingdom work in the world. And so, Lord, I pray humbly that you help us to get over ourselves and so that we can truly engage with what you have called us to and that we can truly take confidence that your Spirit is with us and that it's in us and that it's working through us. And so, Lord, armed with that confidence, let us go out into the world in order to engage with the world, all the world, in order to engage so that we can be the faithful presence of Christ in others' lives. And, and Lord, we ask your forgiveness. Because, Lord, there have been too many times when we have failed to recognize the opportunity that you put in front of us. And there's too many times when we've seen the opportunity, but we've ignored it. And so, Lord, I pray that you rid us of our selfishness <coughs> and that you would pour into us the love that Christ has for others. Give us a greater passion for Christ. Give us a greater passion for the gospel. Give us a greater love for the lost and fill us with a 
sense of urgency to reach the lost. And Lord, help us to see how we can do that in the simplest of ways. Lord, we thank you for making your presence known to us each and every day. And we pray that you will use us to make your presence known to others. Lord, you've given us the Lord's Supper to, as, a, as a regular reminder in our lives of what we're supposed to be, but also as something that forms within us the knowledge and the will on how to be the presence of Christ to the world. So Lord, help us to never look at the Lord's Supper the same. And instead, help us to see how it is teaching us, how it is forming us, and how our very identity and our very task, God-given task, is wrapped up within that act. Lord, thank you for everyone who's here today. I pray that your word has been a blessing to them. And Lord, I pray that you will send each of us out to be a blessing to others. It's in Jesus' name I pray. As together we say, Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. And you're getting out early. All right. <laughs>